0: I think there's some sort of weird culture where people in a lot of jobs, you know, especially corporate jobs are so fucking unhappy because they've had to work so hard at the thing that feels kind of meaningless. So you kind of protect yourself in this elitism and you say that, oh, if you left consulting or if you left law school, it must have been because you just weren't cut out for it because here I am. Because if they admit to themselves that actually consulting kind of sucks, you know, then they feel bad about themselves.
1: I had a feeling that if I don't get out of the situation, if I keep going the way I'm going, I will never be the person that I want to be. So I just, I had to quit my job. Like I just, I had no other choice.
0: Welcome to Work Schism.
1: I'm Anya. And I'm her quarantine roommate Sally. This is a podcast about a relationship with work, why we do it, how to do it better, and why it drives us crazy. Because I'm a cool, cool breeze. <laughs> hey guys, it's Sally here.
0: And I'm Anya, and welcome to another episode of Work Schism. <laughs> Today we're gonna be talking about what it means to be successful after college and the loss of structure and external goals that so many people find so comforting in college and how you can avoid feeling just like an amoeba that is just free floating in space after you just like had an intense college run. So how Sally, em-
1: embrace your amoebaness.
0: Right. Or just like shape it into something that's not an amoeba, but something that makes you feel better. Yep. I don't know. I've always beaten myself up a lot for being an amoeba. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I have a perpetual need to be doing something, and if I'm not doing something, then, like, I'm worthless or I feel worthless.
1: I mean, I think that's something I also understand, so.
0: Sally, why don't you just tell the listeners about, like, a little bit about your college experience and how you approached being in college? versus approaching work afterwards. We were talking about this a little bit before starting recording.
1: Pretty much my whole life, the whole goal for me growing up was to get to college. Uh, nobody in my family had ever gone to college before I'm the first one, like my entire extended family. So all of the goal and everything that I was like geared towards growing up was, just getting into college and so i'd never thought about like anything beyond that um and pretty much if if what i was doing didn't have some kind of function to get me into college it didn't really have a place in my life i was definitely the same way really yeah oh yeah so basically I all I did growing up was like extracurriculars made sure I was doing really well in school and I think combined with I have that same like doer mentality of like I have to be doing something and I, and I've always been that way since I was a kid um if it didn't serve the purpose of like getting me into college then then it didn't really have a place in my life. I didn't feel like I had learned how to have hobbies or interests or just really anything besides like productive work, getting into school. So going to college was kind of like a weird experience and I didn't have a great college experience. because I also just, I think I was a boring person because I wasn't interested in anything. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm now that I'm thinking about it, I'm realizing like how empty that was. Uh, like, of course, like what else would I do? Like I already got into school.
0: Right, like so, there's no higher, wh- what kind of higher purpose could there possibly be than getting into college?
1: Yeah, so that was like the ultimate goal. And then I did it. And then the, the next goal after that was like a generic thing is get a good job. And so like, I always had very like, grandiose ideas of like, what I wanted to do in the world. Like, I just knew I wanted to do something big. And then, and then because I never learned how to like lay a foundation for anything really, and I didn't have any like passion or direction. Hmm.
0: Where do you stand with that now? When you prioritize your goals in life, and when you say, okay, I have this menu of options, a menu of projects that I could be working on right now, and they don't have to be projects, they could be working out or reading or just a menu of activities. How do you think about what you want to do during that day or that week or that month when there's no outside scaffolding, right? Because like, that's the thing with college, where when you're in college, you have this outside scaffolding that tells you these things are due on this day, this test is this time and you know exactly what your goals are and that's to get A's or whatever it is. Yeah. And then uh, you graduate and you just totally lose that. So given the fact that you feel feel like you never developed interests because you were pursuing the just like the end goal so hard, the means became meaningless. How do you – like where are you now?
1: So I think that was the good thing. I think for me in – in never having really any interests, I got really good at learning how to do things that I don't want to do because I never wanted to do anything. (laughs) I can't remember if I've ever told you this, but um, when I was little, uh, like in kindergarten, Mm
0: -hmm. I would get
1: up in the middle of the night. I would get up at like three o'clock in the morning and I would be terrified that I was going to be late for school. So I would (gasps) get up and I would get dressed and then I would lay in bed until it was time to go, and I always got busted because I was never quiet enough. I always woke up my parents, <laughs> but I was so scared that I was going to be late for school that I had to get up and get dressed like as like a four year old, like a paranoid kindergartner. Mm-hmm. So I think I've always been really, <laughs> always like wanted to do shit.
0: I'm curious about how you're finding interests because you, you know, the way that you told the story was so powerful in that. Everything you did was for this other thing. It yeah. was never for the curation of something within yourself.
1: I had to fuck up my life to to realize that, like, I needed. <laughs> Andres, I, I I got so okay.
0: Just tell the listeners about that briefly because I know this story and it is yeah such a crazy story. It is so <laughs> wild. Can you just can you just briefly recap? Yes, kind of cliff the, notes. The, the yeah the cliff notes of your crazy
1: twenties. Okay, so I graduated college uh, in three years because I was miserable. I ended up going to a Christian school in Santa Barbara, was not happy, um, and it was expensive. So I just tried to get out there as fast as I could. Got out in three years, graduated when I was 20. Couldn't get a job, like I said, not anywhere, not even at Macy's. My plan was to go straight to law school after college I had a professor tell me, don't do it. You'll be miserable. You'll hate your life. So I was just like, okay, sure. Uh, So then I ended up very easily getting talked out of law school. Then I couldn't get a job. (laughs) Then I moved home and I didn't know what else to do. Doing school is the only thing I know how to do at this point in my life. So I was like, I guess I'll just take some classes at a community college and get like a minimum wage job. So that's exactly what I did. Like I got a job in a clothing store and started taking just classes for fun. So I end up going to law school, but I half-assed the shit out of that. And I barely study for the LSAT. I get into, I got into a couple schools back East, decided not to go back East because it would be too cold. So I'm like, I should stay in California. So I go to the only school I applied to in California that no longer exists. And uh, I do law school for three years, Um, graduate, end up getting a job at a at a film production company uh, which I had lucked into and and I'm like, oh this is close enough. It's a tiny company but in a couple of years like I end up running the business and legal department and I'm miserable at this point. like I've done everything I'm supposed to do. like I did the school, I did the law school, I got the job finally. I'm married at this point and I'm completely fucking miserable. Wait, did you,
0: can I ask a question about this? So did you feel like at that point you were looking for the job at the law firm because you felt like you needed that one well-paying, you know, safe job after college that you could write home about and your parents will not think that you're crazy for doing it? Like, was that the thing that you were pursuing? Was it still some default notion of what it means to look successful
1: Yeah, yeah, and I know that that was, for me, that was my parents' definition of success. They, you know, and growing up, all I heard was go to school, get a good job, you know, make a lot of money because then you won't have to worry about anything. And I think because my parent, like money is such like a, a source of stress for them and like was for a long time, that they had it in their head that they didn't want me to suffer. They didn't want me to be unhappy. They didn't want me to have to worry. So like I correlated, you know, going to school and getting the good job with happiness. And so then I got all those things and I wasn't happy.
0: I see. Yeah. So what, what changed? What broke?
1: I, you know what? I still... I think, I, I think it was getting sick, like in law school, there are the dogs. Hi dogs. <laughs> Hello. I think it was getting sick. I was so stressed out in law school. I, w- I started getting panic attacks and like migraines. Cause it's a lot of pressure.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I, I mean, I didn't know how to listen to myself and be like, okay, there's probably something going on, you know, then I just got mad at my body for like betraying me at this point. Um, But then that got me into more of like thinking about like health and wellness. And so I went to a bunch of doctors, like nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. So I just was like, okay, I have to do something. And so I just started, I changed my diet completely, started eating like super clean, started going to yoga. And then eventually it led me to do my yoga teacher training. And that was the first time and stupidly, I did my yoga teacher training while I was studying for the bar. And I think subconsciously, there's like a part of me that my like that already knew you don't want to do this. And yeah. it's not that I don't genuinely love the law. It was just I think I knew I didn't want to do it. And so it's it was like, like a me sp-
0: and um, applying to grad school last episode that i was talking about about how like if i really wanted to go to grad school i would not have applied in the way that i applied
1: yeah and i feel like if
0: you actually wanted to be a lawyer you would not have taken the bar in the way that you took the bar
1: nope sure because it was pretty
0: insane like i i say this with love but it was yeah it was not smart
1: (laughs) Yeah, if your goal
0: is to pass the bar but it seems like that was not your goal
1: that's not my goal i mean on paper it was my goal right clearly my subconscious was like you don't want this so everything around me and the way that i'm handling things is screaming like you don't want this but i don't have the wherewithal to realize that yet like i said i got married uh i never fully dedicated myself to studying for the bar so i ended up taking it 4 times uh got like two points away from passing once actually this is crazy i just found out that they lowered the pass rate in the for the california state bar Mm -hmm. um by like 50 points oh my god and they considered retroactively changing the pass rate to 1390 from a fourteen forty to July twenty fifteen, which means that if they had actually retroactively enacted that, that I would have my bar card right now. But they decided not to retroactively enact that.
0: Holy crap.
1: Yeah. I just don't you know would that have had
0: week. you would have been bar certified or whatever whatever yeah. it's called. I would if like you could right practice yeah. law.
1: Yeah. So yeah. That just happened like a couple months ago, so I was like, "Whew, that was a weird thing." Because that's always something that sits like that failure sits with me still, and that's one that mm. I the and failure that's a to hard, the bar. Yeah, that's a that's one that's hard for me to let go of because I think it's so embedded in that into me feeling smart. But that's a story we can mm. we can dive into that another time. When I started doing my teacher training, I started writing. Uh, we read this book called The Artist's Way. And the woman, Julia Cameron, encourages you to write morning pages, which is just every morning you journal three pages without stopping. It's just completely unconscious. Like, if you don't know what to write, you just literally write, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, over and over again, or like, this is stupid, I hate this. Mm -hmm. Just so you're, it's, it's nonstop writing. So it got me into writing. And then being at a film production company, just one day, I think just it had seeped into my, into my brain. And I, you know, had stuff where I was thinking about like past relationships and things that like, I hadn't like resolved. And I was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it'll help me process it if I, if I write about it. And then I just started writing scripts. And then I ended up getting, you know, seduced by an older man who worked at the company with me, who is like, poorly connected but like to my young naive self seemed well connected in the entertainment industry and you know started taking me out and you know introducing me to like places and some people and so I without consciously thinking about this started feeling like this is my way in because I I don't even think I realized how much I was like, oh, I want to write, I want to create stuff.
0: Can I just ask a question yeah. about the man? At yeah. the time, were you like, this is sexual harassment? No. Or were you like, oh my gosh, I really want to be in this world and this is a person who can get me into this world?
1: I think it was like, multifaceted I think because one I was like oh I'm getting this attention from this person so maybe that means that like I have something of value and then two was like this is my way into this world that I want to be in
0: and now looking back on it how do you Mm -hmm.
1: feel oh it was totally like predatory like completely so like it's absolutely disgusting to me now
0: hmm Yeah. It's insane to me how every single story that I hear from my friends or my acquaintances who are women about, like everybody has one of these stories, right? Like everybody has a workplace or like a sexual harassment story, if not worse. Like the majority of people that I've talked to have been like, yeah, like I did not, like I just interpreted it completely differently in the moment than I interpret it. A year later, two years later, five years later, it just hits yeah. you completely differently in the moment.
1: and I think for me, the hard thing to accept it in that way as like predatory, I think that I there's like some shame in that. like I was like, so i'm I'm stupid like if i if I was bamboozled by this, you know yeah so and yeah. in in admitting that it was predatory, like I kind of had to admit my own like naivete about the situation. And I think that was a harder pill to swallow.
0: Mm, yeah, I've had the same experience where um, I just feel like, like, I like looking back on some of my experiences that I've had, which have thankfully been like pretty far and few in between. But mm-hmm. I always look back and I'm like, Anya, you're so dumb. Like, how, yeah. how could you be so naive and so stupid and so whatever, you know, like, I always feel so small
1: yeah looking back and on feel myself like, and that's what makes those things harder to realize I think there's like that that level of shame that makes you not want to go back and look at it because then you feel like it's not even like a oh it was my fault thing it's like oh I feel stupid for allowing myself to like be put in this situation like I should have known better yeah absolutely absolutely no so, <laughs> that was, was a detour back. that yeah. was a detour but an important detour because I was married at the time and and the stakes of the situation were that I ended up doing like a lot of drugs and just just really fucking up um I was in a bad position at work now because like it's a workplace thing and like when that started going sour and he was an alcoholic
0: oh my and,
1: god and yeah like like to the point where it was like he would get drunk and completely like turn into a different person he was a shitty person to begin with but like he would like there would be like a flip switch like to the he would drink to a certain point and then it was like he was like not even like there he was worse somehow um but anyways my my husband found out that I had been having an affair and I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop doing it because then it's now like this affair is so tied up into this world that like, I think I'm getting into and I'm, I'm not really, but it seems like it, you know, I'm going to the right places, but I'm still on the outside. You know, like I'm like, I'm looking into the glass, but I'm still on the outside. Yeah. But because I'd never been that close and I was like, this is it. So I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop doing it. And eventually got to the point where it was just so bad and i was so unhealthy that something like finally like the part of my gut that i'd been ignoring that knew better was like you're gonna die or like you're never gonna get what you want like i think i had to get so far down that path to where it was literally like do or die and at a certain point it wasn't a choice like it didn't feel like a choice to to get out of that situation it was like a necessity. I had a feeling that if I don't get out of the situation, if I keep going the way I'm going, I will never be the person that I wanna be and I might die. So I just, I had to quit my job. Like I just, I had no other choice and home wasn't a safe place because things were God awful at home. Now at work I'm getting harassed because like I've broken things off with the guy at this point. And he's, like, drunk, like, at 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, harassing me at work. So, like, I have nowhere safe to go at this point. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the only thing I can do is leave. And for a long time, like, I felt so bad about myself because I feel like I didn't make that choice to do something different with my life. It had to get to the point where things were so bad that like finally my insides were screaming at me, like do something different or like, you might not make it out of this. Hmm. So that <laughs> was really how I got out of that. It was just everything awful. But the only way I knew how to handle it was to keep writing. and hmm. And I started going to therapy and I started going to therapy and I started writing a lot and and so now this point like in my life like i have a taste of the thing that i want to do i knew i wanted to perform i knew i wanted to write mm-hmm. and knowing that i already did the thing that i said i wanted to do and i didn't want to do it i at least had some wherewithal to say like okay don't just jump into another professional permanent job and so i completely stepped back, um, and ended up working in a coffee shop. And I mean, and because it was because the first time I ever got a taste of it was there. And it was through that experience and and really through that fucking tool of a dude. Mm -hmm. Um, that to me, it was so scary to leave that that was the thing that was really scary to leave was because I was like, if I felt like I, because I was so close to what I wanted that I felt like giving that up would mean giving up the thing that I want because that was the only way i had ever really experienced it before.
0: I see. So you equated the horrible guy with your yes. shot at doing something creative.
1: Yes. At writing, yes. at Hollywood, Acting, at scripts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Oof. So yeah. So that's I, so hard. yeah, that's so rough. And so that's why like me finally leaving was like truly the, the hardest thing I had to do because I had to walk away from the thing I thought was my shot in the first place. That's how bad things had to get was that I, I was, I got a taste of the thing that I wanted. I felt like I was as close as I was ever going to be but because things had gotten so bad that I, I finally had to walk away from my shot.
0: That's so brutal.
1: Yeah. 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 It was, it was, it was rough. And I mean, and that just gives you an idea of like also how bad things were is that that's what I was walking away from. I was walking away from what I was experiencing for the first time like the thing that I truly, truly wanted in this world. So I had to walk away from that, give it all up. I left LA, moved to the Bay Area. I just got a job in a coffee shop making minimum wage um, in downtown San Francisco. And I started taking classes at the community college. And this time I started taking writing classes. It's like my, <laughs> my go-to after college was more school. For like structure and to keep learning because that's what the fuck i keep doing apparently i know how to do school like that's the only thing i was ever primed to do and what i learned how to do so then i finally started taking um acting classes i took an acting class at berkeley rep i still felt like i couldn't admit what i wanted to do and then i had this whole Like I was in hiding also, like I couldn't tell anybody that I wanted to do these things because I also didn't pass the fucking bar. So then in my head, I'm starting to think that everybody is going to think that I'm a failure. I failed at being a lawyer. So now I'm just going to fuck around and start writing and start acting. Right. So then that was too scary to like jump in all the way because I have all of these preconceived ideas of how other people are going to perceive me and judge me for what I'm doing yeah you don't want other
0: people to perceive that writing for you is a consolation prize because you like somehow failed at being a lawyer
1: yeah exactly so you know go ahead
0: sorry that reminds me uh, of this thought that I had recently which is that when you like our society I guess doesn't let people change goals or change direction very easily Mm -hmm. like we have this built-in mechanism where um you know and it's better in america than it is in other countries like germany but we have this funnel where so many things that are seen as prestigious require you know step one step two step three step four and whether that's pre-med med med, residency whatever or on a larger scale it's graduate college get a job find a spouse have kids get a mortgage like we lay Mm -hmm. out these plans and we punish people for changing for not sticking with one thing for not working in the same job for 20 years like when i didn't go to graduate school i had a call with my grandmother and she said anya i am just worried that Without a PhD, you'll always be flitting on the surface of life.
1: Oh, my God.
0: You'll never be going deep. You'll always just be like forever change, like forever the associate, forever the newcomer. And I'm like, okay, like, first of all, I, you know, being raised in that household, like I understand why she's saying that. But on the other hand, I'm three years out of college, like three. And all three of those years, I have worked in economics research. Yeah, <laughs> You know, so it's not like I'm, you know, like one year I'm a surfboard shaper, another year I'm an economics researcher, and the third year I'm trying my hand at opera or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess my overall point is that careers are jungle gyms, they're not ladders. Mm-hmm. And so many people would be so much happier if we just eased the pressure, if we just removed the implication that oh, you left Goldman or, oh, you left law school. You must have just like not had the chops. You must have just not been willing to work hard enough for it or you were too stupid or whatever, you know, just because you wanted to do something else. I I think there's some sort of weird culture where people in a lot of jobs, you know, especially corporate jobs are so fucking unhappy because they've had to work so hard at the thing that feels kind of meaningless so you kind of protect yourself in this elitism and you say that oh if you left consulting or if you left law school it must have been because you just weren't cut out for it because here i am because if they admit to themselves that actually consulting kind of sucks you know then they feel bad Mm -hmm. about themselves
1: that's so true and i mean like everybody's going to make judgments based on like the place that they're in And if somebody's, like, unhappy, it's easier. Or somebody's scared. And that was the thing, like, my experience is that my parents were afraid for me. They didn't want me to, like, be broke for the rest of my life. So they just wanted to make sure that, like, I was okay. And me not doing the thing that they thought was going to make me a lot of money would mean that, like, I'm probably not going to be okay now.
0: And And then valid. Like, that's a totally reasonable you know, point of view. Yeah. Given a particular kind of background.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and and then what I think what I had to realize for myself was that like, I'm not going to be okay, if I'm not happy. And I guess like to get to get back on it, I think what it really all has boiled down to for me, is that I have had to learn how to not just learn how to do the things that like, bring me joy and that I feel passionate about but to actually find out what those things are. And it's been a lot of trial and error for me in figuring out what's too much work, what's not enough work, and how the fuck do I listen to myself with when I'm when I'm pushing too hard and and when I need to take a break. Like that's honestly been the biggest struggle since finishing school. Um I forgot I have such bad smoke brain this week. It's horrible. I forgot where I was going.
0: No, this is an important thing for people to realize. Like people in California are not okay. Like people in Oregon are not okay. People in Washington are not okay. We we should sidebar that because it's not what yeah. you know this podcast is about, but like that's the that's the reality of you know your friends and family who live there if you're not there right now. Like yeah, like Sally is there right now. I'm in Minneapolis, but like that just it just breaks my heart every single day. Yeah.
1: It's all over the whole state. Um yeah, I like I was telling Anya earlier, I was in LA for the weekend for one of my friends' birthdays and it just kept getting worse and worse and we just we've sat inside. I haven't been outside. Um I mean, honestly, really in The last, like, week and a half. And, I mean, the smoke's been, like, ongoing for, you know, three, four weeks now almost. It's been about a month since, like, the first fire started. And we had really bad air when we were both still in Berkeley. Yeah. But I haven't. I mean, I've gone outside to, like, run to the store or, you know, but I I haven't been outside. I haven't gone on a walk since last. It's been, like, almost two weeks now.
0: That's debilitating. Like, that is so despair inducing
1: yeah and like most of my friends that have just moved down to la like don't have air conditioning and so it was like there was the heat wave and you know like my friend lives in a tiny studio apartment and she has a little air purifier because that's all that fits but it's you know 85 degrees inside the apartment and it's too hot to like we can't go outside we can't go inside anywhere because of covid And so eventually at a certain point, like we had to open the windows and just take the L on like a headache and breathing for a couple hours because it was so hot inside.
0: I guess I, yeah, I just wanted to like bring it back to, to just like, what are the themes here? What have been the takeaways for you in your life? And from the last 10 years of trying to like give your life a structure by mm-hmm. fleeing to the safe place that is school that is perpetual school
1: yeah and
0: now that you're on the other side of it and you're kind of like working on personal projects and you're looking forward how are you looking at that like how are you for what are you doing to force yourself to give yourself structure
1: yeah it's been oh that's what i'm saying it's been a lot of trial and error Um, and you know, honestly, I've been thinking about it and it's a lot of trial and error and it's, it's, I've had to learn a lot of like patience with myself and really what it's boiled down to for me is getting a good understanding of myself as a whole person. What do I need? Like, how much do I need to sleep at night? You know, what is my relationship with food look like? And, and from like a person, human level, like learning how to trust my gut, learning how to mm-hmm. listen to my body, learning how to listen to what I need, like what moves me, like what hits me at a gut level. And I, I think I, I told you I was, well, I told you while we were both still in the Bay Area that I was going to the Rose Garden in Berkeley every morning, but I can't remember if I told you this piece was that an exercise that I had in learning how to like use my gut was that I would get in the car and I would say, I'm going to take a different route each day. Just whatever, whenever I come up to a street, whatever pulls me to turn left or right, I'm just going to head in the direction of the Rose Garden. And I would just get there however I got there. Like, I and that. I took a different way every day. And so it was like putting things in my life that are teaching me how to listen to my body and listen to my gut. Yeah. So I've been trying to implement things like that, where I'm getting better at listening to myself because I have pushed myself so hard to get things done because I I've always been that way. Like I have done too much. I know what that feels like to be exhausted. Like I know what it feels like to be beyond stress to the point where like my whole body is like breaking down and I'm sick all the time. So I've it's, and it's taken me 10, almost 10 years to learn how to be like, this level of gentle with myself Mm -hmm. and to say what is it that I truly want to get done in my life
0: (sighs) that's a huge work in progress
1: yeah yeah it's a
0: really big work in progress
1: but and oh we talked about this last week but setting smaller goals or setting setting defined goals for things Um, And I think for me, a big thing has been, like, so setting defined goals is a version of outside accountability, and that's something that has worked for me, but also what, like, what, what do you get in school, you get outside accountability, like people are giving you goals to do things that you're not setting for yourself. Like, that's something I learned about myself, where, like, I can't fail somebody else. I can fail myself all day left and right. But if I fail somebody else, like, that doesn't sit right with me. Like, I, I to me, like, not having that integrity and knowing that, like, I took something away from somebody else is not something I can live with.
0: We've had this conversation before when we were living together. Mm-hmm. We had a conversation about integrity. And this is definitely a, a takeaway that I have maybe not so much related to this particular episode what you taught me was that if I don't have personal integrity it's going to be very hard for me to have external integrity yeah and there was a time in late spring like not the beginning of COVID but kind of like late spring early summer like mid COVID you know um where I just would say that I would do something editing this thing or writing this thing just things that people other people didn't pay me for and nobody cared if they got done except for me Mm -hmm. and i would say like anya today you're gonna do it and every day i didn't do it and every single day that i didn't do it it felt like i was losing a little bit of faith in myself Mm a little bit of that confidence that i'm the kind of person Who gets things done? And Mm -hmm. that was really damaging for me because when I let things slide internally, I started letting things slide at work. I would never just straight up not do something, but I would often just like kind of put it off and, you know, just like look at it from a distance and just be really wishy-washy about it rather than regimented, rather than accountable. I think that's why podcasting and writing my newsletter like why those things really help me because I imagine an audience like this Mm -hmm. is the accountability comes from the fact that there is an audience sitting there listening to me or reading my writing Mm. and so they're holding me accountable and so that really helps me
1: yeah it's interesting. I'm curious to know what it is about having an audience that creates that outside accountability for you.
0: I think it's because when I write, I imagine a person who's going to like I imagine some sort of canonical person or it's much easier if I imagine like my top five friends or something who like always text me after I send out giving to strangers, which is the name of my mm-hmm. newsletter, and they always text me with feedback. And so I think that what I latch on to is like that moment, like that mm-hmm. moment when I send it out and the next morning I wake up and I have, you know, an email and, you know, two messages or something mm-hmm. with response. And so I just inhabit the minds of those other people. And mm-hmm. because I do that, it's much easier for me. It's it, like, I just get out of my own head and then all of a sudden the product needs to meet the standard of another person looking at it. And that pushes me to make the product better.
1: Hmm. I want to know quickly how you came to figure that out um, and what you had to do like briefly to get there.
0: Mm. I think I figured it out through a long period of not having had it. Mm -hmm. And then when I started my newsletter, just last month, I started my newsletter and I got into this zone Mm -hmm. where I was writing, imagining my hypothetical audience. And for the first time in months, I felt like I fell into something. Like I just sat there and I sat there for five, six hours at a time and I would deeply think about my writing and the problem and that was the kind of concentration and focus that i had been missing this whole time and which was just driving me up the wall and so i was wondering like okay this is a huge difference and i just like noticed it by contrast and ever since then every single time that i've sat down to write and I've been like, oh, this is boring. Like, I don't want to write about this. Uh-huh. As soon as I force myself to imagine that hypothetical audience, I'm like, okay, got to snap into shape, you know, got yeah. to make this better.
1: So it's combined because it is stuff that you care about in the first place. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing right. it. You wouldn't be writing about it. Right. So for you, it doesn't just end with the thing that you care about. It it furthers into communicating the thing that you care about.
0: Yes. Yes. Jo and Didion has that quote which every author has you know quoted <laughs> to death but it's like I write to know what I think. Yeah. And I very much write to yes know what I think but to learn
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think I just, I just had to figure that out for myself because when I was in college I, I had the external deadline and so I always thought like oh well you know I'm I I thought it was the external deadline. Mm -hmm. I thought it was that that was making me productive on, you know, essays and P-sets and things like that. Yeah. But it was actually just imagining the fact that there was somebody that was going to be reading this essay or somebody that was going to be grading my P-set that was pushing me to make it better.
1: It's interesting and I know we have to wrap up on on time but I think maybe we can dive into like this idea of like approval because it seems like for yeah. you and for me cuz that's where it stems from yeah and help me yeah. learn and help me grow cuz it kind of seems like for you and for me it's the same thing of like finding a thing that you want to do in the first place and then finding this external push and for you that's like having an audience that's going to provide feedback now that it's not professors and for me it's making sure that like I'm maintaining my relationships with my with people in my life
0: yeah I have totally abandoned things because I Mm -hmm. thought I wouldn't get approval from from them like from other people about them I've definitely let myself down on stuff because I was like oh like people won't like this or like I won't be patted on the back for it or whatever I've totally done that so let's have another episode where we talk about that we have a lot um planned
1: yes for the future
0: for you guys yeah um cool
1: well I feel like takeaways from this episode I think that for me the takeaways are one it's like time in really just knowing that it's a process I I hate saying that because it sounds cliche but knowing that I've had to do a lot of trial and error and figuring out what works for me, Mm -hmm. you just got to spend the time doing it. Um, and paying attention to, to my gut, finding ways to train that, like my driving thing that I do. Um, and, and really just, I write every day. Um, I journal every day. So it's like constantly just chipping away because that's, also a process like it's a learning process it's like I have to do it every day and I have to be vigilant about it and just constantly 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 adjusting and then finding the accountability
0: yeah I think that if you're struggling after college with feeling stuck in a job that you don't want to be doing or finding the motivation to pursue personal projects it takes a while, like it's a transition period and I'm not out of that transition period right now. And I think you just have to be really brutally honest with yourself about what, like, don't pretend, don't waste your time, like wishing, like wishful thinking that like, oh, maybe today is the day that I will start that thing. Like, no, like set up the structures for yourself and experiment, like Sally said, to figure out what is going to work for you to do that project. Okay. Um. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This was episode two of Work Schism. Sally and I have a ton of exciting stuff coming up. We'll be setting up social media and sharing on social media so that you can follow us and like keep track of episodes. We'll be talking about approval and getting approval from others. We'll be talking about mentors, like having the courage to live the kind of life that you want probably be talking about body image because that's something that both me and her think about a lot. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) thanks for listening. That's it. Okay. Bye everyone. Bye.